Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by Carr Ingram, who is with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. He is their petroleum economist, and we're going to talk a lot about a new release of the petroleum index that the Alliance and Carr put together for us and break that down. Um, before we bring him on the show, I'd like to encourage our listeners to call in and ask Carr or myself a question. The phone number to call in is 210-526-3656. Again, that number is 210-526-3656. Or you can just go to our Facebook page in the Woolpatch Radio Show and it will give you the number. But before we bring Carr on, I wanted to talk about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. It is really, truly one of the best issues we've put out for the fact that we have our newly elected congressman, Congressman Michael Cloud, on the cover. You guys might remember Congressman Cloud ran in Blake Ferenthal's district down in uh, South Texas near Corpus Christi area when Ferenthal decided not to rerun for office. Cloud was the winner, and he's done some amazing things. I was real excited that we did the cover with Congressman Cloud for the reason that he actually, once he was, you know, newly elected, he had an opportunity to get on Air Force One with President Trump. And let me just say that the rest is history. You have to read all about it. But one of the things that he was so instrumental in doing for Texas, as well as South Texas, was bend the president's ear on how important the Port of Corpus Christi is when we talk about energy. And he was able to bring home dollars for that port and an absolute necessary investment. And so uh, we're very grateful. If you're from Texas, we should really be thanking Congressman Cloud. I'd like to also take just a few minutes to just tell you about some upcoming events. Put it on your calendar. I'd love to see you there. Energy Day is happening in Houston. It's a great day to bring out the kids. It's at a park. It's free. It's from 10 a.m. to 4 Saturday, October the 19th. If your children want to get involved in learning more about energy and specifically STEM, there's all these projects, hands-on activities, and like I said, everything is free. So I hope to see you at the Energy Day by the Consumer Energy Alliance Group. We also have an upcoming mixer that I want to see you at. It's set for 924, September 24th. We will have a big oil and gas conference in town downtown. And Sabbath, San Antonio Pipeliners Association will be putting on a mixer with Shell Magazine. Tickets are $45 for non-members. Members, or if you want a free membership, you would pay $75 at the door and have a year-long membership with the San Antonio Pipeliners Association. And I you know, have to tell you, if, if you're familiar with oil and gas, you know that right now... Everything is about pipeliners and midstreams. This is definitely an organization you want to join. They have many, many, many different opportunities and events and mixers to network. For more information, 
go visit our friends at SAPipeliners.com. Again, that's SAPipeliners.com. And join up to be a member. I'll see you at one of their events. And I hope to see you at their mixer on September 24th. It starts at 5.45 p.m. and will end at 7.45 p.m. at Fogo de Chao on the Riverwalk. I hope to see you there. Now it's time to bring on our guest, Carr Ingham, petroleum economist for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Hey, Carr, welcome. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome back. You've been on the show Thanks. before. So I wanted I to. Have. So we, we ha- we're going to have you in studio, and we had to nix that real quick, but I did want to tell the listeners that we have you on the phone, and they're welcome to call in. I'm going to give the number one more time, 210-526-3656. But before we get started, uh, I've taken on callers. We already have them on the line, some of our uh, normal, engaged listeners. Um, I want to encourage new listeners to call in. Uh, today's show is really going to be built around this petroleum index and what is happening in the oil and gas industry. As an economist, you really have a really big say on this. So tell me a little bit about your role with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers before we get started. And what is the mission of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers? Well, I've been involved with Texas Alliance of Energy Producers since about 2003, somewhere around in there, 16 years plus at this point. And the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers came into being with the merger of two smaller regional associations uh, up north a little bit. Um, The West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association, which was in Abilene, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association, which was in Wichita Falls. So those two organizations had a long history dating back to the 1930s. and uh, so those two organizations merged in 2000, went statewide, and became the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. So <clears throat> that uh, that organization has existed as a statewide advocacy group, uh, upstream trade association uh, for oil and gas producers in Texas and those that are associated with that business. And so I, I was fortunate to become their petroleum economist in 2003, that's when we actually established the Texas Petro Index, and I've been uh, uh, up in there consulting uh, petroleum economists ever since then. Um, uh, my role has changed a little bit, or uh, grown, I should say, I suppose. As you guys recently. have been growing. Uh, we have been, um, and uh, so I just became the executive vice president of the alliance of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, it's just thrilling. I'm just thrilled to have, and uh, it's just an honor to be associated with that group and to represent independent oil and gas producers in mm-hmm. Texas. Our president, John Tintera, is an Austin guy, former executive director of the Texas Railroad Commission, and so we've just got a great, great team. Leadership. Great leadership. Great leadership. On. Yes, yeah. indeed. And, and that's so why more people to... should join the Texas Alliance. All you got to do is go to TexasAlliance.org. And, and join. You know, we are on Facebook Live as well, and I just uh, wanted to just say, if you're watching us Facebook Live, we probably they probably can't hear you, but they can see and hear me. I'm highly encouraging them to go to our Facebook page, which is in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and there you can hear us uh, both live, and the phone number to call in is 210-526-3656. I want to set the stage up real quick before we start bringing on our callers, and I appreciate them being patient with us, but 
Eckhart, let's start with a little bit of background. Uh, the petroleum index. What is the petroleum index? You know, I know you discussed it was established, but, you know, why was it established and, and the, the need for it, if you can uh, tell us? Yeah, it's really just a simple little analytical tool. It's called the Texas Petro Index. I put this together for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers in 2003. <clears throat> we actually dated that product um, back to 1995, so its origin is um, is January of 1995. Like you do with most indexes, you just pick a starting point, and then you sort of a, assign an arbitrary number to that starting point. Well, ours is 100.0. And so we calculate that thing every month going forward. It is just designed to indicate the current uh, condition, the the cyclical movement, which is to say just the cyclical ups and downs in the Texas, what we call upstream, the exploration of production part of the uh, Texas oil and gas economy. And as you mentioned a moment ago, midstream is another important component of that, (laughs) increasingly important component of that which is moving product from one place to another, pipelines, uh, primarily intermediate processing plants and such. And then downstream, which is refining and processing and turning oil and gas products into kind of end-use energy products. So this is an upstream product. The ex- and that's the biggest part of the Texas economy that is related to oil and gas. And it still packs a wallop uh, in terms of its contribution and its effects on the Texas economy. And so we want to know what it's doing over time. We will know whether it's expanding, whether it's contracting, whether where the turning points are, at what rate are we expanding or contracting, what's driving these things, what is happening within the components of that thing. And the components are, uh, again, it's a pretty simple list. The prices paid to producers for crude oil and natural gas, statewide rig count, number of drilling permits that are issued. This is a monthly index, by the way the number of crude oil and natural gas well completions, the estimated volume and value of crude oil and natural gas production in Texas, and then very importantly, of course, the number of persons that are employed on the payrolls of upstream oil and gas companies. So that's kind of the nature of the Texas Petro Index. And again, it's just a simple little tool, but it tells us a lot about what that economy looks like and its current effect on the state of Texas we can relate that to other things like production itself and just kind of what's going on uh, more broadly in the marketplace. Excellent. Well, you know, I think we have John Tatera uh, on the line right now on hold. And I, you know, when we bring John on, we're going to get a much deeper discussion on oil and gas. Um, are you there? Yes, I am. And uh, Mr. Ingham, uh, thanks for uh, being on the show today. Uh, I really enjoy these Saturday shows. With Shale Magazine, uh, it brings a lot to the picture. And I'd like to ask you a question uh, from your economic viewpoint, Carl. Carl, uh, you've been studying the Petroleum Index since the mid-'90s and uh, formulating it and advising your clients and the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. So what would happen to the Texas economy if the oil and gas industry followed the recommendations of the Green New Deal and shut in all its wells and closed down the oil and gas industry, just stopped the production? Uh, what would happen to our great state, and what would happen to the jobs, and what would happen to the future of Texas? Well, now, uh, John, while you bring up that question, I know that that is a very, very large answer that's going to be required. 
I'm going to have to take a really quick break. But when we return from break, and I hope you'll stay with us on the line, uh, but we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Greco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com. back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto. Today we have with us Car Ingham, who is the Petroleum Economist for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and John Tatera, as well with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers president. Uh, John, you set up a great question before the break. Pretty much, uh, in a nutshell, what would happen if anything were to happen to the oil and gas industry here in Texas? Car, that's a very, very big question and with a sure tons and tons of implications uh, for this state so please take it away I'm, I'm very interested to hear what would happen to our state well I could truly uh, spend the rest of the show talking about that one issue but I will just try to condense this down into a, a few facts and try to suggest what this might look like the, the problem is I think it would be so dramatic, um, catastrophic, that it would be difficult to suggest what ultimately the spin-out of that would be. But let's just suggest that the Green New Deal, which is actually an utterly keep-it-in-the-ground movement <clears throat> for reasons having, at least in my view, not everything to do and probably not mostly to do with climate change in the environment. But, um, uh, but let's say we did this. Uh, the impact to the economy of the state of Texas alone, and listen, as an economist, this is this is important, but I, I don't know that it, that's even at the top of my list of concerns, but the economy of the state of Texas would be dramatically smaller, uh, for one thing. The upstream oil and gas industry makes up somewhere between 10 and 15 percent directly, directly of the statewide economy. And when you spin that out in terms of multipliers, and listen, economists talk about multipliers all the time, and people's eyes glaze over, and I get this. But what we have to understand is that there is a multiplier effect. In other words, the industry does its thing directly and then indirectly purchases goods and services from other suppliers out there, and this just kind of ripples all throughout the economy. So economists are famous for overcooking these multipliers, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. They certainly do. And so you take that 10 to 15 percent, and right now it's probably closer to 10. So, uh, and, and that becomes uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 percent. I mean, the economy of the state of Texas contracts, and it contracts severely. If that were to happen between today and tomorrow, that's what we would be looking at. Mm. You can kiss about a million jobs goodbye. Wow statewide, right. uh, direct industry jobs. 
A million jobs um, gone if oil and gas. I mean, actually, it's probably more than that. But yeah. if you just sort of apply the numbers to it, a million jobs are gone. Uh, you can kiss about 20 to 25 percent of direct tax revenue to the state of Texas goodbye. When you add Is that that sales. rainy day fund that we talk a lot about that actually that's really a helps? A lot of the rainy day fund. Most right. of the rainy day fund contribution has come directly from the oil and gas industry. That's right. Um, over that's right. virtually all of its time. Uh, but between the severance tax, the production taxes that are paid by producers on mm-hmm. oil and gas in Texas, and then other taxes and fees on top of that, the industry is a huge payer of the sales tax statewide. You just add all of these up. And, um, and you, you have a disaster. Between, the state of Texas oh, has a, a disaster. Then. utter disaster. Right. Uh, and again, 20 to 25% of statewide tax revenue uh, collected is gone. That doesn't even talk, that doesn't even take into account ad valorem tax revenues, which are local property taxes that fund school districts and municipalities and That's counties right. and other uh, municipal sorts of entities. School districts primarily, though, uh, particularly in the producing regions of the state. Um, that revenue is just gone, and that's a sizable chunk of revenue in a lot of school districts around Texas. So what are you going to make this up with? Property taxes? I can't even imagine what well, that looks everybody, like. I mean, there would be so many people that would lose their homes because the property taxes would probably skyrocket as a way of trying to cover the revenue that we lose from oil and gas. And I guess that's why, you know, in the Oil Patch Radio Show, having you on is so important because I think the average day person... They just really do not understand how this really does affect their own lives and their livelihood. It's not just their jobs. It's going to affect every single facet of their life. And it's crucial that they really understand that. Uh, Carr, what else uh, could go wrong if we were to lose the greatest gift that Texas has, the oil and gas sector? Well, this is; these are just the very basics of what things would look like in the state of Texas. Uh, and again, I expect these are a bit understated. Um, uh, they they sound dramatic and catastrophic, but they would be. I think these are considerably understated by the time all is said and done, because economic contraction just begets other economic contraction and the loss of jobs. People and companies kind of pull back within themselves. And you think this is just uh, confined to the state of Texas? Well, think again. My goodness, um, if you live in uh, at any area of the United States, a coastal area on either side of the country, north, south, east, west, mid-continent, it doesn't matter. Texas right now provides, as we sit here today, 42-plus percent of all of the crude oil produced in the nation, 42 percent, comes from the great state of Texas. and Somewhere around 30 percent of natural gas, I think I need to, I need to double-check that number, but that number's high as well. 42% of the crude oil, so if that's gone, just just imagine what energy costs, transportation costs uh, um, look like if that contribution is removed from the marketplace. And yet this is the kind of nonsense that we're talking about. The Green New Deal is talking about. Let's let's get rid of all this. And, uh, you know, Texas saw a little snapshot, and that was when we had Hurricane Harvey. And it wasn't that there was, uh, you know, no gas at the pumps. It was they were having a problem getting it to them. And we could see a clear panic. People going to gas stations and lining up and gas stations are running out of gas. And you saw just a panic. And that was on such a tiny, tiny, tiny scale. 
So, you know, we really need to think about what energy means to our great state and to the United States. It also has implications on foreign wars. It's always better to be independent and, and, I mean, not dependent on foreign oil and dependent on our own resources, which we have plenty of them. Carl, when we get back from break, we're going to bring Joe on the line, who is one of our great fans, consistently always following the show. We do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And we'll be right back. of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Carr Ingham. He is with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and he is a petroleum economist. Carr, we have a lot of guests have been waiting on the show to talk to you. So let's bring on one of our loyal listeners, Joe, out of Houston. Joe, are you there? And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Yes, I'm here, and I'm rather flattered with your compliments. You know, you are one of our greatest fans. You're always so engaged, and it's so important uh, because, you know, we, we air all over the state of Texas, and, and we really do appreciate your your engagement. It's important. So what's your question for Carr? And, and uh, uh, I'm sure it's probably interesting because you're one of the most knowledgeable people in the oil and gas industry as well. Definitely. I research the questions. Uh, well, my question re- actually replaces that Green New Deal with something much better, uh, Greenland. Uh, So as we know, the territory of Greenland has been in the news, and what the media has not covered, and I think your radio show today is the only one covering this information, is with all of the hydrocarbon, oil, natural gas, et cetera, not yet on tap in that territory, wouldn't it actually make a great deal of sense to acquire at least the rights to that energy? And since the current landlord, Denmark, is part of that carbon-fearing EU, who else would better put all of this to use, you know, other than the United States? And that's basically the question. 
very, very interesting question and and a thought. Uh, and, you know, knowing President Trump, maybe he's on to what you're on to. Carr, what's your opinion on the question? Well, uh, this has just been such an interesting uh, uh, discussion. Um, I've paid some attention to that uh, this week, probably not as much as uh, some others. When it comes to uh, global energy markets, um, the uh, there are just a few uh, uh, there are just a few basic economic um, principles that always apply. Not just to energy, by the way, but to all markets. The more of it you have, the better off you are. Uh, the more of it you have, the greater supply you have relative to demand or consumption or current demand. Uh, demand. Sure. The better off the energy consuming uh, public is. What I'm mostly heartened to know is that now, compared to where we were uh, in relative terms, not all that many years ago, the early part of the decade of the 2000s, really probably leading up to even 2007 or 2008, is that we just know around the globe there are much more um, in, in terms of energy resources available to us to ultimately extract when the time comes. Um, and, you know, uh, markets and politics kind of figure out a way to do this. I don't have any strong thoughts on Greenland just this minute, but to the extent those resources indeed are available, whatever it takes to ultimately access those and then bring them to, uh, or bring them to work on, on behalf of the global consuming world, and that's frankly the side of the world that I'm, uh, that I'm most consumed with as an economist, and that is um, the economy is... Uh, as, as a entity that exists to provide goods and services to uh, consumers, and so it might well make perfect sense to do that. I don't know what the politics of that ultimately look like, but uh, I'm kind of enjoying the fact that he uh, uh, seems to be getting everybody all wound up about this. The, yeah. uh, the, uh, the Dutch, in particular, but um, our president has a great way of doing that. Don't you think he can just set everybody's <laughs> hair on fire? And uh, before you know it, everyone is, is, is jumping in on the discussion. You know, we've had David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine, on hold as well. Um, when we return from break, I, I want to bring him on. Joe, thank you for that question. We love Greenland. It's beautiful. I'd love to see it come on board as well and uh, be a part of the United States and uh, just to go visit and have it join the United States of America would be uh, phenomenal. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll be joined by the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that will keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. 
The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, and today we're joined by Car Ingham, who is a petroleum economist with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. But I'd like to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, are you there? I am. Thank you so very much for waiting. I know you've waited three segments, and I'm sorry, but our phones have been packed, and we've had a very engaged audience for this important topic as well. What's your question for Car? Yeah, well, first of all, Carr, congratulations on your recent promotion. That's a very smart decision by the board of directors there. Appreciate that, David. Thank you. That's a very kind thing. And and being that you are an economist, um, you know, and and talking, you were talking about trade policy earlier and all the tariffs, and and one of the the tariffs that uh, everybody was afraid was going to kill the oil and gas industry when it was announced well over a year ago is the uh, tariff on imports of steel. Uh, into the United States and, and right. the impact that might have on the economics of pipeline projects, among other things. I can't help noticing that in spite of the tariffs, uh, all these various pipelines, multi-billion-dollar pipelines, are getting built to carry all that crude oil and natural gas out of the Permian Basin to the Gulf Coast. And I just w- wanted to pick your brain about that and, and see what kind of uh, information you have, not just from the midstream companies but from upstream companies as well, about what the actual financial impacts of those tariffs has been uh, on the oil and gas industry because, frankly, it hasn't slowed things down much. Well, I'm not sure we know that's entirely true. Um, If you just consider a tariff a cost that has to be paid, a tax that has to be paid, that those dollars have to come from somewhere, and typically where they come from is just operating revenue. Um, and so <clears throat> whatever the operating revenue is for the midstream company, for the upstream company, whatever the case may be, uh, then that, uh, that, that, that cost has to be done, has to be paid out of that. Ultimately, now, these are projects that are done with capital dollars and such, and so it may happen in a roundabout way. Uh, but there's little doubt about the fact that for a steel-consuming industry or a steel-consuming product, uh, project, um, that 25% tariff on imported steel has to come from somewhere. And those are dollars that are then not made available for something else. I'm relatively convinced at this point, pretty strongly convinced at this point, actually, actually that a part of the slowdown in the upstream oil and gas sector in Texas is is tied to that. It's certainly not the only thing, uh, but right. uh, but I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that that is a 
uh, an, an observable uh, significant factor in the slowdown right now. And the reason is that upstream oil and gas development, the, the cost of those projects is somewhere between 10 and 20 percent uh, uh, of the upstream cost structure. Well, that's pretty right. significant. Uh, we're talking about big dollars for big projects, um, but a 25% increase applied to 10 to 20% of your uh, of your cost structure is just significant. It just has to be. And so, when you have sort of a low price environment like we have right now, there's just not that much wiggle room, and that means there's even less wiggle room. Um, and so, I, again, I think that has a little something to do with the upstream slowdown, and that's not the only thing behind that by any means. Uh, but I do think that it has had an effect, and it probably has slowed things down a little bit. Pipeline projects, thank goodness, particularly on the crude oil side, are getting done, and they're coming online, and we've had a little bit of that just in the last couple of weeks. Right. And, in fact, it's been so significant that it's done quite a lot to narrow this uh, this price discount between um, between Permian crude oil and uh, uh, West Texas, and even all of this combined with exports is narrowing the, the, the gap between uh, West Texas Intermediate and Brent. And so... Uh, this is kind of what all of this is supposed to do, ultimately, is to level these things out. But we're still not having enough headway made on natural gas movement and pipelines to move natural gas out of the Permian. But what is occurring is that pipelines are trying to figure out how to uh, account for this cost by raising the cost of the tariffs. I say tariffs. That may not be a good word, although that's the word that they use, the cost of transporting uh, petroleum products on their pipelines. So in some cases are trying to recoup this. In most cases are trying to recoup this, trying to figure out how to make this, how to, how to make the finances of steel tariffs. And of course, you're talking about pipelines built out steel primarily. So they're trying to figure out how to recoup this and to pack, pass this cost onto their customers, which are upstream oil and gas companies, uh, to get that product from the field to the marketplace, the coast, whatever that may be. Uh, so uh, there's little doubt about the fact. I mean, it's, the math is pretty simple. It just those dollars have to come from somewhere, and those dollars then uh, cannot be put to work where they typically would be put to work, and that's to finance additional development in the oil field. So, uh, so what what we may be able to say is that yes, it certainly has not halted these projects. They're coming online, but there's little doubt in my mind about the fact that this is causing some distress out there. And uh, it's part of the uh, part of the upstream slowdown right now. David, I'd like to ask you to stay with us uh, as well um, because I think there's a, a lot of discussion as well that that you know with the new announcement of China putting on uh, an, some additional uh, tariffs. Um, you know, my 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 thought is, you know, how does that affect the oil and gas industry? Um, or is it going to add an additional burden? And then, of course, my other question would lead into, um, and so, Carr, you and David, it would be interesting to see what you guys have to say. But So is this also then going to add to the stress already that we are starting to see this uh, slowdown? Um, some people have thrown out their, you know, recession. And um, I'm just really curious to get both of your point of views, David, as the editor of Shell Magazine and, and Carr as a, obviously a petroleum economist. Um, but we are going to get ready for a quick break. When we return, I want to break down the new China uh, tariffs that were announced. And, and President Trump's also response was kind of also uh, <laughs> somewhat uh, of a fire uh, on your hair type of uh, response. But you're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, uh, and we'll be right back. 
Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto. And today we're being joined by Carr Ingham, who is a petroleum economist with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, as well as the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. Gentlemen, before the, the break, I was we were talking about, uh, you know, the tariffs on steel and how important it is to the oil and gas industry, how much they utilize it. Um, we've had a new announcement from China once again, that they are also, uh, we're going to tit for tat. It seems to be as though uh, this trade war with China is definitely um, escalating. And uh, my question is, is this going to have an impact on the oil and gas industry? And if so, how significant and in what areas? Carl, I'll, I'll start with you first. Uh, there's an easy answer to that question. It's one word, yes. Yes, it is going to have an impact. It is having an impact. Oh, what, here's what we, here's our current situation. The U.S., and thank goodness, and, I, man, I celebrate us for this. I celebrate the country. I mostly celebrate our oil and gas industry and the magnificence at which we've gone about doing what we have gone about doing just over the last 10 to 12 years. And what we have done is utterly turn the global supply picture on its head. <laughs> uh, we've made OPEC not irrelevant, not by any stretch, but much less relevant. We've... We have um, buffered ourselves from supply shocks that, you know, things that used to cause extraordinary increases, even for the short term and energy uh, costs in the U.S. Uh, that just doesn't happen now. And this is all thanks to us. Uh, and even though, um, even though prices aren't fabulous now for either crude oil or natural gas, we continue to grow production at a fairly astounding rate. Uh, we're gonna. We, we're in the process of setting new records every single day. We just passed the five million barrel a day mark in Texas uh, in the month of June, I think. <clears throat> First time ever, five million barrels a day we're producing in the state of Texas. So in this time of increased production, uh, adding to global supply, just from what we're doing in the U.S. on the crude oil and natural gas side, what do we need? Well, we need a strong global economy to suck that up. We need a strong U.S. economy to absorb the production that we are 
uh, that we are uh, adding to the marketplace, that we are contributing to the global marketplace. There's no doubt in my mind as an economist. I cannot be disabused of this notion. Um, uh, it's just where I am as an economist. I'm a free trader. There's never a set of circumstances under which I'm not. There is an answer to the question about what China is doing, but mostly what they're doing while they are hurting some U.S. industry is uh, is uh, providing a boon to U.S. consumers who have done nothing more than uh, uh, like to uh, purchase a, uh, a, a less expensive uh, product. And so... Um, with their unfair trade practices, it's actually a benefit to the U.S. consumer economy. The the solution to a, a trade issues is never to punish your own people, but that's what we're doing. And so, um, <clears throat> so uh, uh, again, for us to respond to this um, uh, in such fashion uh, uh, is harmful to our uh, our people. So. Uh, again, this is just where I am. It's where I'm always going to be. And as my, uh, as one of my favorite economists, the great Dr. Walter Williams, likes to say, I'm pretty much uninsultable at this stage of my career. So, uh, so uh, I'm happy to take it on the chin for that. Um, I understand the electoral politics of this. I'm no stranger to politics, and I understand that places in the Midwest that produce steel, he carried, and I celebrate this, and I'm glad that he did. I think the biggest threat to the president's reelection in 2020 right now is the general state of the U.S. economy. And if it's in decline when the time comes and pretty stoutly in decline, and I don't know that that's going to be the case. I hope not. I think, again, that's the biggest threat to his reelection. Oh, um, for sure. Uh, we've been in a, a period of economic growth for a long time. And whether you can ever lay it at anybody's feet or not, Occasionally, we just have recessions in the country. Typically, we are an economy of growth, but occasionally we're not. And if that recession should happen to be timed with that presidential election, that'll be a really tough thing for him to deal with in terms of getting reelected. So uh, I could yeah. spend a lot of time talking about this, but the answer to that question is yes, it is. And it's going to have that effect by weakening the global economy, which slows energy demand. Uh, and uh, makes it less able to absorb the growing production from the United States. Interesting. David, do you have a comment on that? Uh, you know, not really anything to add to what Carr said. You know, anything that slows down demand globally uh, makes it harder for the U.S. industry to continue to increase production at the rate it's been increasing it. You know, there, there are a number of other factors that have uh, caused the industry to pull back a little bit this year among them being demand from investors that they quit drilling so many wells and focus more on increasing investor returns. Sure. But sure. the best way to increase investor returns is to increase your profits, right? So Very anything cool. that slows down or diminishes the profitability of these companies is going to be harmful to them. Um, and, you know, in terms of global demand, uh, while it's still been growing this year, it has slowed down just like the, the domestic drilling industry has slowed down. So, it, it's all slowing down, and uh, we'll just have to see where it goes from here. Hopefully, uh, the U.S. And, and, and China can get back on track with a trade agreement that uh, be beneficial for everyone here sometime soon. You know, I was uh, reading an article. It was talking about the uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce as well, um, basically just really asking not just the United States, President Trump, but also China, get back to the negotiating table and let's work this out. I kind of think President Trump is also like, you know, we had an agreement and you you, you didn't 
honor it. What do you do with something like that, Carr? We got about a minute left. What do we What do we do with that? How do we get them back to the table to really negotiate? Well, uh, negotiate to do what? It's kind of a rhetorical question. Um, uh, again, the question is the broad assumption is that what China is doing in terms of its trade practices is actually broadly harming the United States. I myself do not believe that to be true. I believe it is harming some sector of the United States. That is some sector of manufacturing, those that make things for export and so on and so forth. Uh, If you attempt to correct that problem, you are then harming somebody else in the United States. And I'll just put it to you this way, and this relates back to the steel tariffs. Why is it okay? First of all, is it okay? And if it's okay, why is it okay to save a steel-producing job somewhere in the United States and cost an oil and gas-producing job somewhere Somewhere else else. in the United States? So in other words, what you're basically saying, and we're winding down the show, is that this is just a really bad and uncomfortable situation, and let's just hope and pray that President Trump and China can come to some agreement. Gentlemen, thank you for being a guest. Carr, thank you for joining the show today, and we look My forward pleasure. to having My you pleasure. back. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you for joining us today on the show. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.